HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network, coming to you from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today is Wednesday, January 15th, and this is my second show of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. If you miss this live broadcast, you can always find us archived at heritageradionetwork.org and on Stitcher. So today I will be chatting with not one, but two wonderful industry professionals who I will introduce in a moment. We will also have my PR tip, speed round questions, restaurant news discussion, solo dining experience of the week, and the final question. So we have a lot to do. Now, since I'm primarily a restaurant publicist with my company, Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be organized. Now, the first thing I do when I work with a a new restaurant or any new client is I put together their press kit. And a press kit is basically your information packet, which has a press release, fact sheet, bios, menus, photos, and eventually it will have press. And the reason I do this is, one, so I'm prepared to pitch the client and send information to people who might want to cover the restaurant or or whoever I'm working with. And it's also to be prepared for a request. If someone wants a photo, I have it available. If someone has information about the menu, it's right there in front of me. So I think as a chef, you can think of this uh, as your mise en place. Uh, basically, a chef that goes into, uh, into work, the first thing they do is they prep because they can't make a dish without having the ingredients. So you can think of a press kit the exact same way as a publicist prepares for working with a client. So that's my tip, get organized. 
Okay, now today I have two industry guests. The first is Arlene Spiegel, the founder and president of Arlene Spiegel and Associates. She is a restaurant and retail and food service consultant, team builder, and a multiple award winner for excellence in hospitality, restaurant operations, and branding. As a third-generation restaurateur, Arlene has dedicated her entire professional life studying the eating and purchasing habits of consumers in every possible food and beverage environment. For over 25 years, she has worked with all segments of the hospitality industry, including branded restaurants, independent entrepreneurs, corporate chain restaurants, and real estate developers. She is known as a hospitality matchmaker and often appears on the pages of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and Crane's New York Business. She is also a frequent guest on CNN and CNBC. My second guest is Steve DeFilippo, who is the CEO of Davio's Northern Steakhouse Restaurant Group and author of It's All About the Guest, Exceeding Expectations in Business and in Life, The Davio's Way, which is a memoir and business book featuring advice for aspiring business owners and restaurateurs. Steve opened his first restaurant in Boston at the age of 24. Today he has seven restaurants, 700 employees, as well as a packaged good business in 3,000 retailers. He is a graduate of Boston University and the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts. So welcome Marlene and Steve. Thanks for Hi, coming. Hi Sherry. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Hi Sherry. Hi. Well I'm so glad you both could come out and just so uh, listeners know. Originally, I, I invited Arlene to come out on this show, and she accepted. And then she said, "You know, st- I know this guy Steve, <laughs> but, <laughs> and I think he would be great for your show because he he came up with, out with this book that uh, basically takes a restaurant tour uh, through the steps of opening a restaurant, and it fit the theme. So I said, "Why don't you have Steve on with you?" So that's how this came about, and so Steve and I, it's very, it's very nice to meet you, yeah, first so time meeting. it's so great to be here. It's, I gotta tell you, this restaurant is so cool. I cannot wait to have a piece of pizza. It looks so good. <laughs> yes, you have to. Well, I love, I really love being out here and bringing people to Roberta's because it is, it is a cool restaurant with excellent food. So I thought we'd start, Arlene, a little with your background and you are certainly a veteran of, of the hospitality industry, of a ton of experience. So how did you get started? Well, you make me sound very old, Sherry. Well, <laughs> no, when I you don't. say the word veteran. Not, I mean, you're the youngest veteran. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, a veteran I, I'm experienced. being experienced. Well, maybe. I started very young because, as you said, I am from three generations of restaurateurs. And literally, my grandfather, when he came to America, opened up a pickle cart uh, down on the Lower East Side uh, of New York. And uh, subsequently, my father, my uncles, and my entire family have lived, breathed, and, and just immersed ourselves in the world of feeding people. And of course, when it was my turn, it was the last thing I wanted to do because I grew up having to peel carrots and make deliveries and clean bathrooms and do all the things that my friends, uh, when they were out having a good time, I had to be with the family business. But something happened along the way, and I wound up seeing it after taking a break from it um, and realizing what an important business the restaurant business is because it has the power 
uh, and the opportunity to really make a lot of people happy. And if you can uh, be an asset to a community, uh, even and certainly to your team members, your employees, the neighborhood, the people who walk by, then in a way, you know, you're privileged. Because how many times and how many businesses can you touch people's lives almost on an everyday basis? So I started looking at the business in a much more purposeful way than just feeding people. Right. I didn't know that's how, how it started with with a pickle business, huh? It really did. It's all about the pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got so you got drawn in. You thought you thought you were gonna do something else and Well, you know, I um I wound up um, having, you know, had some other business experiences and being away from the family business. Um, And when I got back into the restaurant business, I approached it much more academically and uh, much more from a business standpoint than my family did. I mean, they were the real so-called mom and pop. You know, they literally, there was no technology. Everybody was writing down, you know, columns of numbers, figuring out change in tax in their head. But the further I got away from what they were doing, the more I realized that they were doing the important things that really makes a business successful. Yes, they were paying attention to food costs and they were paying attention to uh, food preparation and hiring the right people. But I guess what drew me so much to uh, Steve's book, It's All About the Guest, is because for my family, that's really what it was about. And in their one of their first stores, which happened to be in Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue, by the way, um, it was called Farby's. And there was a big glass window. And my father and my uncles, when they would see one of their guests, who we actually just called them customers years ago, <laughs> when, when one of their customers was walking by the glass window, we knew, and my, my father knew, how they liked their coffee. If their daughter got married last week, they knew everything about that customer. By the time the customer came in and sat down, all we had to say is the usual. We knew what they ate, how they liked their eggs scrambled. And that intimacy really becomes an important part of everyone's life from the operator's life to the guest's life and the uh, the people who work there it, it does become more like a family and it makes your work have more meaning than in some of these ubiquitous chain operations where no one knows your name and I hate to sound like Cheers but really that's what made Cheers successful is that when Norm walked in the door everyone said Norm right and that's the kind of environment and culture that I grew up in so here it is all these years later, and I actually try to instill that in my clients when I work with them when they develop their own restaurant organizations. Well, it is called the hospitality industry, and it's being hospitable and really right. welcoming your guests and knowing, yeah, it makes, I think it makes people feel special and want to come back. Right, but too often that word um, is just a word in some employee manual or mission statement. And unless the leadership of the organization really feels it, it's something you can't fake. You could train people to give good service technically, 
But hospitality is really taking care of people. It's loving people. It's getting the joy of seeing how you can make them happy. And it is a privilege to do so. So if you don't love people, no matter how good a chef you are, how much money you have, or how cool your new restaurant concept is, if you don't love people, it's going to be hard for an operator or an owner to get the joy out of it and to actualize what that brand can be because it, it really, you need to walk the walk. Oh, very, very true. You're quoting my book. That was pretty good. That's, <laughs> I love your book. That's in the book. By the way, we have computers now at the podiums that keep track of everyone, which is so great. Back in the day when I first started, we would have a book there, and I'd have my handwriting, and I would write down you know, uh, who, who these people were, what the favorite table was, all this stuff. Now we have beautiful computers that keep track of everything they can actually read the writing because there was people if i was not there they couldn't read my writing very well you know so it's we've come a long way with keeping track of the guests all right but you know it your your organization steve you know has grown and yet what i hear from people in philadelphia or in boston where, wherever you operate is that they always feel like they're coming home mm-hmm. and that doesn't come from a, a university degree or uh, or from reading a lot of books it comes from you understanding what's really important and then you know just getting it out there to create a culture of caring for people right. i mean i i always tell people i'm in the restaurant business but it you have it's a calling to do what we do yeah it really is i know it sounds like a religious thing but you know you know i, I obviously nuns and you know, priests are it's a calling but that's how crazy mm-hmm. I am about this business. Mm-hmm. I think, if, you, like you said earlier, if you don't love people and you don't want to service the guests, you're in the wrong place. I mean, I, I'll be in the back and, you know, someone will start working there and we thought they were a good hire. And I hear them complain about a guest, that somebody asked for something that we don't have on the menu. Or they, or they asked to, for, for, for some, they had a question or they, they were unhappy about something. And I'll say, and they'll complain about it. And I'll say, well, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, and then I'll complain again to me, and I'll say, you know, I, I'm just not sure this is your, what you should be doing in your life. You know, you're in the wrong place. The guest is the guest. They're out having dinner. They asked for an eggplant parm. Big deal. Let's make it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it's amazing how many people who just aren't made it for our business, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, we're not. I'm not for every business, and you're not for every business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my thing is always to find the right person, the right people who want to do what we do. Yep. It's a special person. It's very, it's true. I, I know from, from Danny Meyer's philosophy with hiring people mm-hmm. that he always said, you can't teach a personality. You can teach mm-hmm. someone's skills, but I think basically when you're looking for your staff and who you're going to hire, it's about the personality and the person, you know, because that's either you have it or you don't for, for the restaurant industry. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's even more than a personality. It's also... Um, uh, an aptitude and and a genuine caring about other people. So the difference between um, even someone who has a great personality and even has technical skills, will that server or that host see a mom with a stroller walking in the door and know enough to go up and open the door for her to make it easier for her to come in? Will they have umbrellas at the uh, at the entrance so if somebody forgets their umbrella, they could borrow one? It's really going over the top to saying, you know, we thought about everything 
that you might need, even th things you didn't know you would need, and we're going to anticipate them. And one of the coolest things, Danny Myers, um, uh, and, and I like to use him as an example because I've learned so much from not him directly, but things he's done, was he had shawls made up. And when somebody would come into his restaurant and maybe there was a little draft or they felt cold and he couldn't really change the whole climate in the entire restaurant, he would come over with a beautiful, clean shawl and ask the lady at the party if she would like to borrow it while she's dining. I thought that was just such a cool thing. I know that when I create a restaurant concept now, the first thing I do is I want magnifying reading glasses at every host stand in case someone forgets their glasses. And a flashlight. I want the flashlight. <laughs> I want shawls. Um, I, I want uh, phone chargers so that people can have, you know, charge their phones while they're dining, which leads me to... Um, a, a, a new controversy now, and Steve, I wanted to ask you about it, is, you know, the whole issue of uh, some restaurants will not allow you to bring your cell phone into the dining room or use their cell phone in the dining room, at least for talking. You know, you... And Most that, people have it at the table now, especially since things like Instagram have, and everyone's taking photos of their food and posting, but talking on the phone, I think, is different than staring at your phone, even though both can, right. you know. So, but, but, you know, these are the things that restaurant operators never really had to think about. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the baby crying incident. Right. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to do restaurant news a little later in the segment, but I would like to, we need to take a short break. But we'll, I would like to talk about that with you because, it, it is something interesting that just came up this week at, at a fine dining restaurant with someone bringing a baby. So we will talk about that in a little bit. And uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. It was so sweet and warm 
This is Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I am here with Arlene Spiegel and Steve DeFilippo, and uh, we're talking restaurant industry news and uh, hospitality. So, Arlene, can you tell me more about what you do, what your services are? I know we, we, we kind of started chatting a little bit. How, when you, well, first of all, what inspired you to start your your company where you were doing more consulting work and what services do you provide for restaurants that you're working with well the the good news is that this is an unplanned life i have and i just kind of have opportunities that i pay attention to and when i owned and operated my own restaurants they were very very successful and forward thinking and um People out of the blue would just call me. We didn't have internet then. They would actually call me and say... They had to use a phone? We had to use a real phone and <laughs> a talk real to people. Phone? Right? And, Attached uh, to a cord? And snail mail. Uh, and people would literally write me letters at one of my restaurants or they would call me and say... Um, gee, I noticed that you were, you know, given this award or you uh, were recognized in, in some industry publication. Uh, how did you do that? And I would start, you know, telling them, oh, well, this is the way you organize your menu and this is how you engineer it and this is how you do your inventory. And, of course, a lot of this I had learned from my family businesses, and it was all written down on a legal pad with ruled paper. There, there wasn't Excel at the time. So a lot of the things I was doing was trying to systematize and get a handle on the chaos and unpredictability of the restaurant business. And because I was able to manage it, because I could see it and measure it, I was able to make better decisions and run very profitable restaurants. So with people starting to ask me, I realized that maybe what I had to say was valuable. And so, of course, I called my lawyer up right away and I said, what do I do here? And he said, well, you know, in your second life, you wanted to be an attorney. Why don't we set up a separate corporation for you that's just a consulting firm? And when people want to engage you for information or advice or project work, you can bill them either in an hourly basis or on a project basis. And so, you know, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, from starting my own restaurants and working with small mom and pop clients, I'm now working with major corporations and supermarkets and food service and, you know, the Hearst Cafe to public supermarkets to Harris Casinos to some of the top brands right here in New York City. And uh, I help them create their brand, their infrastructure, their performance, help them look for a location, help them with the culinary end of it, and of course, the brand positioning, the marketing, and the expansion strategy. So when I meet a client, whether it's a hot dog stand or haute cuisine, everyone has to have a unique 
a blueprint for going forward because there is no one size fits all. So the first thing is let's meet, let's talk about what you think you want to do. And if I can validate it, I can help you get there. Excellent. And what, what's an, a client you're working with now that, that we should know about? Well, one of my clients actually just opened his third location right here in Brooklyn, New York. And oh, Brooklyn. Good old Brooklyn. And uh, the name of the, um, of the restaurant is called Hill Country Barbecue. And Love he, Hill Country. Yes. And when uh, the owner, Mark Glosserman, came to me um, six, seven years ago, he didn't know a cucumber from a zucchini. I mean, he had no idea what the restaurant business was like, but he had roots in Texas and missed authentic, dry rub, slow-cooked Texas barbecue. And I worked with him for two years, including going to Texas and getting involved in the culture and then recreating it. But we always knew from the beginning it wasn't going to be a one-off barbecue joint. It was going to be a lifestyle brand. So now we have Hill Country Barbecue, Hill Country Chicken, Hill Country Music, Hill Country and Hill Country Pie Shop. He's he sends food over, you know, with with FedEx and pies all over the country. Uh, he's written up. He's gotten the best awards. And so if you can take someone's idea and their passion and then craft it into a profitable, successful, meaningful lifestyle brand, um, that's, I guess, what a, a consultant does. At least that's what this consultant does. Well, you do a very, very good job as a, as a consultant. So now we have to go after we have pizza here. Now I got to go to the barbecue place. That's right. Absolutely. You have to go to the barbecue well, place. It's great. amazing. Right. So, and Steve, now you just opened Davio's in New York City. Mm -hmm. So what's that been like? It's been pretty cool. You know, uh, being a restaurant guy, uh, where would you want to have a restaurant? You know, being in New York is so... Is, Bushwick? Uh, Bushwick, <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks pretty good around here. Uh, no, I, you know, New York is a mecca of restaurants in the world. I mean, it, to me, it's the coolest thing. I, I've always wanted to be in New York. Uh, we finally got around to it. So, you know, Davio's is 29 years old now. Uh, you know, we're in Atlanta, we're in Philly, we have four in Massachusetts. Uh, so it, it just was a natural to, to finally get here, and uh, it's been really cool. That's great. And what inspired you to write your book? You know, it's so amazing how many people want to talk to me about the business. Like, I'll be at cocktail parties or I'll be at dinner somewhere. I'll be at a sporting event. Wherever I go, people ask me about the business. Then I have a whole slew of managers and other restaurants or chefs who come see me you know I'm, I'm kind of the old guy now in Boston uh, you know because I've been around so long and they come for my advice and they they're doing a new deal or, or even job advice uh, I, I get people who are not even in the business who who are building a house that want to ask me about contractors I, I so many because I'm involved with so many things uh, being in the restaurant business that I, I've been I have a lot of answers. So I thought, you know what? I should put a book together and put as much as I can in that book and help a lot of people. Uh, but I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be entertaining. And I wanted it to make sense. So what I did is I would go into a room and I would talk anywhere from two to three to four hours about a certain topic, like mentors. And you know, I think mentors are very important. Or I would, I would talk about whatever thing I was talking about. Uh, and then I would take those transcripts because we would tape the conversation. And that's how I wrote the book. Because I had thousands and thousands of pages. When I first got it together, I had about 29, 30 chapters. Uh, I had about 500 pages. It was crazy how much stuff. I had to get it down, get it down. Now it's a little under 300 pages. 
but it's a fun book. You know, I, I tell stories. And I think when I was in school, I remember the professors, uh, the ones that told a story about something, that's who I learned from. The guys that would get up there and lecture you and tell you to do this, tell you to do that, I tend to just go right over my head, and it was boring to me. So in the book, I tell a story about some crazy thing that happened to me, uh, and then at the end of each chapter, I put these five or six bullet points of basically what you just learned. Uh, and I think it's a lot more entertaining to do it that way. Yes, I, I have the book, and mm-hmm. I've skimmed through it. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. And one of the chapters that caught my eye was uh, on keep your eye on the money, because I thought it was it was very good advice to have people on uh, – there were notes about undercapitalizing and on food costs and different issues that – I think people who get into the restaurant industry might not think fully through or realize. Um, so. Well, you know, it, it's not, you know, so many people get into this business who, who just aren't business people. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people think, oh, uh, well, I don't know what the data is. Five to six, seven restaurants out of ten go out of business. You know, it changes all the time. Uh, that statistic, is it one year, two years, three years? Uh, you know, people do go out, of, go out of business quite a bit in this business, and I, and I think it's because they don't have enough money uh, or they don't watch every nickel. You know, they don't watch their food costs, their liquor costs, their labor costs. So what happens is they open up. They don't have enough money for when the dishwasher breaks. They don't realize it costs, you know, $1,000 to fix the thing. And then they don't realize that their food costs, every day they're open, they're losing money because they're not charging enough for the food. They're putting too much in the portioning. Uh, they're, they're putting too much booze in the, in the drinks, uh, all these crazy things. So what happens is after 60 days, you, you know, you're trying to pay the vendors. You're like, well, where's all the money? Jeez, we, we seem to be doing really well. We're really busy. But if you're not making money on everything that you touch, you're going to go out of business. And I, and I think that's why people go out in six months because they make it to six months and they can't pay their bills. So they have, no, they have to close. Uh, and so I talk about how not to do that, you know, to watch it from day one. And I actually put a, a statement in the book that shows you all the stuff that go that we go through, you know. And it's fun. I'll have someone come to me, another restaurant. They'll say, you know, see, I'm having trouble, and you know, and I'll say, bring your statement over. They'll bring their their what they think their costs are, and there'll be like maybe 20 things on the on the sheet. And I'll say, and I start asking questions. What about this? What about that? You know, because they don't follow everything. They put everything into miscellaneous. You know, I itemize everything, everything that we spend money on. Uh, and that's why I'm still here after 29 years. I really watch it. Oh, it's very, very good advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to take another quick break, Great. and we will be right back on All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Sherry Bayer. You're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today I'm here with Arlene Spiegel and Steve DeFilippo. And now it's time for my speed round questions. So I hope you guys are ready. Let's go. <laughs> Basically, I'm going to give you an either-or choice, such as hamburger or hot dog, and you're just going to tell me which one you comes to mind, what you prefer. There's no right or wrong answer. This is free association? Yes, it is. <laughs> this, is this is my radio game. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll start. We'll go Arlene then, Steve. Okay, ready. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Same for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to eat in. Uh, you know, I just love to be home and, and because I eat, I'm out every night. Obviously, you know, working in a restaurant. So I like, all right. Am I supposed to explain my answer? Or just say. Well, I want to make sure I have the rules straighter. By the way, am I no, getting no. Do I get anything gonna, from this? Do we get something here, Arlene, or, or what? Do, we, yeah, do you win? get a prize? Who yeah, wins? Yeah, we, we, uh, we no. get a pizza. I, okay, pizza. I was thinking this could be my not so speed round, but if you, but but let's try and do it as a speed round. Speed just round, okay. quick. Quick answers. Okay, right, right. okay. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Cocktail. Wine. Small plates or large plates? Small. Large. Lots of them. <laughs> Lots of them. I love having two people. It's so interesting. That's why we're not married. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tablecloths or no tablecloths? No tablecloths. I agree. Unisex or separate bathrooms? Separate. Separate. Open seven days a week or less? Seven. Seven. You guys are tough. Dessert or a cheese plate? Both. I'm a dessert person all the way. Love dessert. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Tip, definitely. Yeah. Last one. Boston or New York City? Oh, jeez. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one for me because I'm in both markets. I mean, you know, I, I'm from Boston, but, you know, it's so cool to be here. It is cool to be here. Yeah. All right. Very good. There's, I don't, it's a tie, whoever won. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, now let's do my, my restaurant industry news, which you, uh, Arlene, uh, mentioned briefly before. One of, one of the, the news stories that happened this weekend was uh, there's a fine dining restaurant in Chicago called Alinea, which is uh, Grant Atkins's restaurant, and it's it's you actually have to buy a ticket to go to the restaurant. He has a ticketing reservation system, which is kind of like buying a ticket to see a show. So you're you're committed once you have your ticket. And um, Saturday night, Grant tweeted about how there was a baby in the restaurant who was obviously crying and disruptive and um it's brought a lot of press this week of you know should someone be bringing their baby to a fine dining restaurant or how do you do or should they just put a policy on there no no way you cannot uh i don't know what your thoughts are on that you know it's really tough because in the industry we want to welcome everyone but if um an an operator and certainly someone as uh, revered in the industry, you know, wants to control the experience and the environment, I think it has to be very clear from the beginning that it's, you know, an, an adult or grown-up experience and that, you know, we would appreciate it being an adult experience. But I think people have to know that in advance. But if you don't 
gently put that out there and then someone does bring their child and the child is a little disruptive, we're still in the business of making people happy. And I would do everything I can, including going out and bringing in a Big Mac for that kid if it would make him happy, even if it's a fine dining restaurant. So you need to always be gracious and you learn from the experience that if you want to control it, then you have to let people know right away. And it's just like you say, you buy a ticket for the theater. There are times you wind up sitting next to someone who's wearing terrible perfume. You know, you can't control everything. Mm, very true. Right. I, I think it's ridiculous that he tweeted that out. In fact, being a restaurateur, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by this guy. Because I think, first of all, we don't like Yelp, right? We don't like that these people go on and, and make fun of us. And then he goes and does that. Why did he bring attention to that? I mean, if he has a problem with these people, you know, he should call them and talk to them about next time they come back or something. Because do we know that the, the babysitter canceled? You know, were they on their way there and something happened? They had to bring their kid. Mm -hmm. We don't know the whole story. You know, and it's it's all about the guest. This is, this guy is it's all about him. He he doesn't understand that we we are in the service industry, and if the guest, you know, something happened now. Could they have dealt with it and went out to the table and said, you know what, some other tables are complaining. Would you mind? Uh, can we help you with the with the kid? Mm -hmm. Can, can, I, can we? Right. We have a back room that we can bring you to. You know, there's other ways to deal with it. You know, but to go on internet, you know, on tweeting, you know, you, you don't tweet stuff like that about your guests. You know, I I, I just think it's awful. I mean, I, when I heard about this and I saw it, I I, was, I, I just it made me crazy. Wow, you know, strong, I mean, this guy, this guy, you know. I'm telling you, you know, he's obviously a talented, famous guy right now. We'll see where he is in 10 years or five years because, you know, he's hot right now, but things aren't forever, okay? So you got to be careful when you take on your guests like that. Next you know, question. Wow. The future, the future <laughs> I wasn't our, expecting the that. The future is our children, you know, and, and, but, I, and, that, but and that's to not... But to play just a little devil's advocate, sure, yeah, you yeah. know, the... The, what about the other guests? You're saying he's take you know the one guest, but mm -hmm. I think I think um, I mean I uh, you know what? I, I don't I, want to speak for him or, or, or but it's you know I think there probably was the concern for the other guests in the dining room who are also bought this very expensive ticketed. I got it. What, what happens at next table? The guy's loud and the woman's loud, and they have a big conversation. Yeah, tables I mean, are, it, so it, what do you do it, with those people? You know, the, you know. So because it's a kid. You, you you tweet it out. I'm, I guarantee there's other things going on in that restaurant that night that probably offended somebody else. Like Arlene just said, the perfume thing, which is a great thing, by the way, the perfume thing. So, you, you know, that's just – you don't go on tweeting about your guests in a negative way. It's not good PR. You're a PR person. Would you want one of your guests, to, one of your clients to do something like that? I mean, Well, I think you have to be very careful with tweeting and people have, yeah, gotten uh, – you know, you're putting something out there, and um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's interesting because it's become it's it, people are talking about it this week, and yeah. you have a very strong opinion on that. Uh, so I, I just think it's wrong, and I don't think you should be attacking your guests. It's it. I just couldn't believe it that he actually tweeted a negative thing about someone that ate in his restaurant. How much did those people spend that night in his restaurant? And he tweeted that. They were mad about the baby. Okay. So. Wow. Heated discussion here. So well, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna move. We're gonna move on. I have another right. um, industry news topic, which which is sad. Actually, it's uh, the bistro at Villard Michel Richard was reviewed today in the New York Times, and it received zero stars. 
And I have not been there. Have you been there, Arlene? I haven't. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, and, and it's a discussion, really, for somebody who started out, I think he's really Washington, D.C., and then he came to New York. And I'm always concerned about people who are successful in other cities. And when they come to, especially New York, um, how do they understand how to be relevant and what people will value here and what the expectations are? So I was not so surprised at the mixed reviews. I think that... Um, that not just in New York, but, you know, just in the country, we've all been beaten up so much by the economic uncertainty, and people are a little nervous. And I think that when someone goes out and spends, I think, seven $800 for a couple to have this elaborate menu and this very haute, you know, dining environment, I think you're, you're almost setting yourself up for failure because the expectations are so high especially in the beginning, the first few weeks. And the people who do go and dine out in these kinds of, of uh, dining venues, they're the cognoscenti. These are the people who've been everywhere around the world and who really know what good is and have the deep pockets to, you know, to spend their time. But, you know, value comes at very different price points. There are people who, you know, for me, I could spend $10 on a great hot dog and think it's a value because it has the best ingredients and it has the best mustard and I'm enjoying it. And I could also spend three or $400 on a fine dining experience and think it's a value because it was memorable and inspiring and uh, and it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I could always think about. So value is in the eye of the beholder. And when um, the so-called food critics uh, come in, uh, uh, these are people who really know. And they know New York and what New Yorkers would expect to be the, the total outcome of this experience. And when it doesn't deliver, they're going to kill you. <laughs> they're going to kill you. They're not going to be kind to you. However, I read three reviews about it, and I think Adam Platt gave it uh, two sparklers. and so, so it's mixed reviews. But it's really unfair because if he's only open two weeks... And yes, you know, he's at the top of his game. But, you know, come back in six weeks. Come back in two months. That's when you really should review a restaurant. It's very unfair to walk in after you're only open two weeks. Well, it's happened. Reviews have started to come out quicker and quicker because of the Internet. And and the because yeah. they used the... The New York Times didn't used to review that quickly. They used That's to right. wait about six months. But now everyone's a food critic. Everyone yeah. with a cell phone and a camera... You know, you, before you even finish dessert, you're already out there on, on Instagram and you're, you're tweeted and Facebook. So I think there's a lot of pressure on an operator, especially someone who sets those expectations, um, to really deliver in such a short time. I mean, Steve, you, you're only open a month or so in New York. And, you know, I, I bet you're praying no one comes in to review you for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm in no rush to... That ha if it happens, it happens. Uh, you know, not much you can do about it. Just do the best right. you can. Okay, great. Uh, we're going to take one more very quick break, and we'll be right back with All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. Oh, I like the way you do. 
You're listening to Lovin' Like This by the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and now is part of my program I'm dedicating to solo dining. So my solo dining experience of this week was I went to Empire Diner, which is a revamp of the iconic Chelsea Diner on 10th Avenue and 23rd Street, and it it was fabulous. It's... Um, Amanda Freitag, who, she was the chef at the Harrison. She hasn't been in a restaurant kitchen for a few years, and she's now partner chef. And uh, people probably know her from Food Network's Chopped. Uh, She is a regular judge. And uh, I was excited to see her back in the kitchen, and I really, I really enjoyed the experience there. It was, it had a really nice vibe, and I had the I wasn't that hungry, so I just had the Greek salad with octopus, and it was probably the first time I had octopus in a diner, even though I eat octopus a lot. And it was excellent, and I really look forward to going back and trying more of the menu. So congratulations, Amanda. Okay, we're just about getting close to closing time, but now's the the part I'm going to do my final question. Uh, actually, last week on the show, I had on Stephen Kamali, and I asked him to ask Arlene a final question. And he sa- his question was, what's your experience and beginnings in the restaurant industry, and what makes you a, re- a great restaurant consultant? So we kind of covered the, the first part. So what makes you a great restaurant consultant? I think it, it's the same thing that makes anyone else successful is if your objectives and your energy is aligned with your client's goals, then you're going to move down the path together. I think that one of my greatest assets uh, as a consultant is picking the right clients. (laughs) Because the truth is that um, I, I turn away nine out of ten opportunities because I invest the time to kind of hire my clients the way I would somebody who would work with me or for me in my firm. If I don't see, first of all, a relevant concept, so it's concept and it's commitment and it's somebody who uh, has the intelligence and who also listens and takes advice. So if they don't meet my metrics of qualifications, then I won't take them on. So a good part of my success is because I picked the right clients to begin with. So very smart. Terrific. She hasn't turned me down yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> okay, so then for you, Arlene, next week I'm having on David Helbron, who is 
of Helbron, Levy, and O'Donohue, which is attorneys at law, and his clients are primarily restaurants. So do you have a question for him? What should I ask David? I would ask him if he could put together a list of the top 10 things restaurants need to know so that they do not get sued. That can be my entire show. That could be. (laughs) But I can tell you that the laws change by the minute, whether it's labor laws or sexual harassment or any local municipality laws. But literally, if you hang your awning too far out into the street, you get a fine. If you don't follow progressive discipline and you let somebody go, and you don't have the proper policy and procedure manual that they've signed off on when you hire them, you're going to get sued. So I think it's really good to know what the worst-case scenarios are and that you should model your organization and your systems and your policies so that you are going to be always in compliance with the laws. Excellent. I will ask him that. I might have to ask him that before the last minute of the show. (laughs) Get his whole answer. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Arlene Spiegel of Arlene Spiegel and Associates and Steve DeFilippo, the author of It's All About the Guest and the CEO of Davio's Restaurant Group. Um, They were my guests today. Thank you both for coming out. And you can find more information about them at ArleneSpiegel.com and Davio's.com. And Steve is also on Twitter at Steve DeFilippo. You're not on Twitter, right, Arlene? No. We have to get you on there. I don't want another thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. All right. So for me, you can find more information about this show at heritageradionetwork.org. And um, the episodes are on the website, and they're also on Stitcher. And I can be found on my Facebook page, All in the Industry, at Twitter, All Industry, and at Sherry Bayer, and at Heritage underscore radio is for Heritage Radio Network. So you can find all of us. And also special thanks to my engineer, Evan. This is Sherry Bayer. And thanks for being a part of All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. Till next week, I'll be back Wednesday at 4 p.m. Bye.